One of the most interesting experiences a person can have, and it's typical of modern, well-developed, affluent societies, is this experience called burnout. It's also called depletion or breakdown. So I used to use the word broken when I went through my own experience. I used to write on my journal and talk to people and I would say, look, I feel that something broke within me, but I don't know what it is, so I can't fix it. It's like a machine broke down, a screw is loose, but I don't know which screw it is, so I cannot go tighten it, you know. And I knew that something had snapped, but I didn't know what it was, so I couldn't fix it. And that gave me, particularly because I had already been a therapist for over 20 years, and I had helped already by then thousands of people. So there was a certain degree of what I now recognize to be perhaps arrogance. You know, I thought I could do anything. I could fix any problem. I could help anyone. Well, when that happened, I was not able to help myself and I felt quite broken. It's interesting because I kept teaching and doing therapy. Later, during the, the pandemic started and I got a job as an engineer and I did my job. I started off as an assistant engineer. I intended to stay there for only six months during the pandemic. The pandemic got extended and I got COVID, was hospitalized, almost died. That's a different story. So I ended up staying for two years. But during those two years, I went from assistant engineer to chief of engineering. And what's interesting, I'm only telling you this information because from the outside, when I was at the peak of this breakdown experience, people, when they would hear me later talk about burnout or breakdown or depletion, you know, they would say, dude, I, could, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to tell. You know, I, I remember when I was teaching philosophy and people later found out what happened, they would tell me I could not believe what I heard because every single night you stood up for three, four hours and you taught like the best classes ever, like nobody could ever see. But inside, I was broken and depleted. So what's really awesome about this is this. When that happened, because I had been a therapist already for so many years, I had been to a bunch of conferences, I had published extensively, I knew a bunch of people in the business. And to be frank, I knew the best of the best because when you go to these conferences, you meet the top people in the business. So I called them up. I called about 15 different therapists and I do still believe that they're awesome, but I couldn't get the right kind of help. I couldn't get what I needed at that time. Now, let's be frank, let me be really specific here. I couldn't even articulate my need. So I'm not blaming the therapists, but I didn't even know what I needed. But somehow, I expected my therapists to know what I needed, and they didn't, and I couldn't get much relief. Uh, some of these therapists were, um, and I write about this in several books and everything else, you know, I, I, because it's sad. Some of them were, were borderline, um, they were not very good at their job. It's, it's, it, you know, sometimes a person speaks at a conference and they wear a really nice tie and, you know, but when you go to their office, it's like it, there's something missing there. There's a connection. There's an empathy that's missing. I don't know why, but not everybody. And, and I guess I do know why that empathy, that connection comes from two things. It comes from the heart, not from the mind. So you can read a bunch of books and you can be really smart and a really good business person and make a ton of money in therapy. 
But if the heart of yours is not in the right place, the client who's suffering is going to feel that something is missing, that connection, that empathy is missing. So I thought before my own breakdown that my heart was open and that I cared. And that's what people told me. So they, they fed back to me that idea that I was doing great and so forth. But when I went through my own experience and began to recover, I realized, gosh, looking back, I was lousy. You know, so much was missing from my practice. Because once your heart opens, you see life from a much broader perspective and you understand so much more that I didn't then. And so, of course, from this new perspective, we realize that the old perspective was really lacking, was really you know, it was really short, it was really small as compared to what I see today. So today I can help people much more effectively. We can do in one session what, and this is an experience that I've had over the years, you know. We used to take three sessions to accomplish what I can now do in one session. And that same level of improvement has happened throughout these 25 years. Now we can do way more in a shorter period of time because the techniques are much more objective and also my ability to understand the person apparently has shifted a little, which I'm really grateful for. But what happens to a person when they break down, you know, the, the sense of depletion? If you have been there, you don't need an explanation because you feel that your life is over. You feel a profound sense of nostalgia and a longing for a past that is dead. Now, that past may include a loved one who died. It may include a profound and, and, and huge financial ruin, like you lost everything. It could, be, it could be a massive health diagnosis. You know, you have a couple months to live, according to your doctor. It could be, it could be a breakup, a severe breakup, usually when a couple grows up and they decide to not be together anymore, you know, and they're both adults and they're both quote-unquote normal people, separation can happen and it can be very difficult. But you don't have this hugely traumatic experience. Uh, many of you may have watched on, 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 the, on the news and the social media that Johnny Depp trial and you have all of these false accusations and the police and violence and take the kids away and all of this mess, right? And I'm not here to diagnose or judge any of those people. What I'm explaining to you is that normal people don't separate like that. Normal people, they can hurt. Look, you know, this is not what I wanted. I want to continue with you, whatever, you know, but all right, if, we, if you don't want to be with me, we're going to have to adapt, you know, give me some time to, to get used to this new reality. Let me see the kids. Please don't steal all of my belongings, you know. Let me retrieve my things from the house and we can continue supporting one another insofar as raising the kids and that kind of thing. That's what normal people do. But sometimes a, a breakup, and, and the term that I use is separation versus breakup, sometimes the separation can be very violent and we call it a breakup because something breaks. One of the two people will break down. The other person is typically... If, if you notice, whenever one person is really broken, the other person is really happy. Pay attention to this. Not just in the movies, in real life. The, there's one person broken, depleted, you know, my gosh, I can't believe... The other person is already married to somebody else a day after you left. You know, it's like, it's really weird. 
you wonder, you know, were they together before? Like, what the heck is this, right? And they, if, if you ever say to them, look, I, I, I'm having a hard time adjusting to the fact that just yesterday we were married. Now, you know, I cannot even get my own things out of the house. This is a little weird. They say, you see, you're codependent. You see, you're jealous of my happiness, you see? Because that type of person is always gaslighting you. And so when you separate from that, it's tough, man. Something snaps inside of you. I've been there. And there are several experts on YouTube on narcissism, you know, I mean, several people. Um, Rebecca Zung is an attorney who, who represents essentially victims of narcissistic, uh, you know, people who are really troubled in their heads. And she has a whole channel on this topic. I really enjoy her videos, learned a lot from her. But there are many, many, many. Dr. Les Carter is another one that comes to mind. Learned a whole bunch from him. Uh, Dr. Ramada, and, and there are a number of experts, people who make a living studying these things, and they'll tell you, the narcissist has, you know, it's a special breed of people. I, I was studying, when I was in my own recovery, I was studying about that, because I was in that situation, and there was this expert, I forgot his name right now, he's out of Spain, and he's a world-renowned expert on narcissism and psychopaths. And he says, look, if you meet one of those people, they all have one thing in common. They're very charming at first. And so they seduce you, not just seduce you like sexually. They seduce you because they're very charming. They're very polite they, they, and they're very loving. So in the narcissistic community, we talk about love bombing, you know. And if you have a little bit of self-love deficiency or deficit as as doctor i forgot his name now teaches if we have that self-love deficiency when a narcissist meets you and likes you and targets you for destruction they love bomb you they love you so much you're so perfect you know and that soothes your soul and so you fall for that so this expert out of spain says look if you meet a person like that that absolutely adores you, you're completely perfect no matter what, you know, that's a narcissist, that's a psychopath. And he, say, he says it's so funny, you know, I love the way, he says the first thing you do is you get your best running shoes on and you run as fast as you can, don't ever turn back, don't ever look back, because if you stay, that person will suck you dry, destroy you, and most likely will end up dead. It's a very sad thing to say, but it is true. So. Yeah, a, a romantic breakup with somebody who's a psychopath, and there are way more of them than we realize, is something that will leave a person broken, depleted, in burnout mode. It's very difficult to recover from that. I was at a, I, I talk about this in one of my books. I was at a conference once, you know, in the midst of my own crisis. And I have um, another therapist who I considered a friend of mine, and someone I see two, three times a year in different conferences. But every time we get together, you know, it's like the feeling of warmth, you know, such a nice person, a great therapist. And it always felt to me like we've been friends our whole lives. And, you know, so we would talk about catch up a little bit. And I wouldn't see him for six, nine months, maybe a year later, you know, but then we would get together again. It was like so awesome. Right? So I consider him a friend. And um, when I was in the midst of this, we were at this conference once and we were at this pool party doing s'mores, you know, and I woke up to him and he says, dude, I heard your, he told me, I had done a lecture that day, and 
I talk about this story in a different book, you know, and I, and I say that when I got to the conference, I had forgotten what my lecture would be about because I proposed the topic and I wrote to the conference organizers before the breakdown. So between being accepted as a presenter and the day of the conference, I had a problem in my life that resulted in some sort of breakdown or, or, or I couldn't sleep and I was really disturbed, right? So I forgot all about it. but I went to the conference. So I get there, I pick up a conference brochure, and they put your picture and they list your topic of conference. So I'm reading about it, you know what it says about me and what my conference would be about. And I remember, okay, I think I know what I'm talking about. So when my time comes, I get up there, I have no notes, no audiovisuals, no movies, no pictures, nothing, just me. And I get up there and I share a little bit of what I thought of how to use certain principles from A Course in Miracles in therapy. That's the topic that I had proposed and, you know, with no preparation that I could remember, I simply explained what I thought about that topic. Now, mind you, this is a room full of therapists, about a hundred therapists there who are all experts. They're at this conference. They're all therapists. These are not... It's very different speaking to a group of therapists as it is to the public, you know, because then you get a mixed crowd and some people may not know anything about what you're saying. It's a little bit easier to impress them in some ways. That's the truth. But when you're talking at a conference and everybody there is an expert better than you, it's like, you know, it's not so easy to impress them and you can't say something that's weird or wrong. You know, they all catch you. It's like, you know, it's, it's just not, you know, it's a bit more tricky. You have to be on top of your game. So I do this talk and I'm convinced that they'll never invite me again, right? Because they, they have, at the end of the, of every talk, every participant, every member of the audience votes, gives you like a score essentially. So I'm thinking I'm getting like a zero. I don't even know what I was talking about. You know? But when I was done, you have to vacate the podium because the next speaker has to jump on. So I vacate, I go to the lobby in this hotel and crowd follows me and they wanted to know more about this and more about that, you know, and we were talking and it was kind of a, an interesting opportunity for me because I felt so depleted back then. And about three weeks later, I get my scorecard, the 10 out of 10, they wanted me back. And I was like, wait, obviously they, they sent me the wrong scorecard, you know. But those are the kinds of things that happen because since my mind was so broken, I was able to speak from my heart and people somehow connected to them. But the point is that when I go to this evening pool party and we're doing this s'mores, this friend of mine that I'm telling you about approaches me and says, yeah, I heard your talk was fantastic. You know, everybody's been talking about this. And I said, dude, you know, since we're friends, I said, dude, you're, you're not going to believe it. I don't even know what I said. You know, I, I, I'm so, and then I told him what was going on in my life, my personal life. So he's listening, very empathetic, very nice man, you know, he's listening to me. He says, well, let me tell you a story. I had a similar experience about 25 years ago. And there isn't a day in my life that I don't feel that pain. And the point of what I'm telling you right now is that it's very easy to learn to suppress what's going on, put a veneer of decency on top of our behaviors, move on with our lives, but the pain remains inside. I did not accept the future for myself. I said, no way, I'm not going to live that way. I want to cure, I want to heal the pain. I'm not going to live pretending, oh, fake until you make it, pretend you're okay, move on with your life. No, I wanted to heal the pain. I wanted to understand the pain. I wanted to heal it. And so it took me a little bit longer 
you know, when, when the breakup first happened, I consulted one expert and I asked him how long he thought it would take, you know, g given the situation that I was presenting, whatever, you know, in his experience, super experienced therapist, you know, how long would it take, I asked him, to recover from something like this. By the way, the recovery has nothing to do with not being in the relationship. In this particular case, I was the one who walked out. I was the one who filed for divorce. I was in an abusive relationship. And, event, you know, when you're in an abusive relationship, you're going to something that they call Stockholm Syndrome. And you, and you believe that you love this person and you cannot live without them, you know. And you, and you create all these confusions in your mind. And it stems from childhood, you know with physical abuse in childhood and you love your parents. I mean, it's a complex thing that happened there. So eventually, so for me, being able to walk out and file for divorce was a huge victory because prior to that, I couldn't even conceive of being away from this person. So eventually I was strong enough to say enough abuse, I'm out of here. That was a huge step forward. So the breakdown had nothing to do with the with the absence of the person in my life. The breakdown in my case had to do with a sense of betrayal. And I'll tell you more about that later, not to deviate too much. But I just want to convey to you the fact that if you are in this situation, I get you, been there, been there, done that. This guy told me to go back to the story that it would take me seven years to recover. And I said, hell no, I'm not going to be in this state for seven years, hell no. You know, and I'm, happy to report to you that I beat the odds by several years, you know, because I worked day and night on this. And it was not easy because the mind is broken. And so what the mind wants, it's like a drug addict, you know, you know the drug is bad for you, but you want uh, to go back into the past. In my case, I didn't want the person because I knew how toxic it was, but I kept thinking about the past. You know, this happened, that happened, this was unfair. And that thinking kept creating similar events in my present. So I got into another relationship, the same thing happened. Of course, I was recreating that over and over, right? And um, eventually we snap out of that and begin to create a new future legitimately. But there has to be a healing within there. All I'm trying to tell you here is that burnout, in my experience, can happen as a result of a bad breakup, major health diagnosis, financial ruin, I mean, you're done, and or the death of a loved one. So, especially like unexpected death of a loved one, very difficult. I worked with a mother once who was in complete burnout and the daughter had liver failure and they used to go to the doctor and the doctor used to say, look, there's nothing we can do for her. This is complete liver failure. You know, it's a progressive, illness and you know she has six months to live you know arrange your affairs there's nothing that can be done this of course was many years ago it's possible medicine has advanced so much as possible that nowadays they would have done something different not back then well this mother went shopping for a casket with the daughter a casket for the daughter with the daughter you know it's like and on and on and on so you know and, and it was a relative was a 32 year old young woman and it was just such a weird thing right and um, she accepted the doctor's verdict. Yeah, she's going to die, make preparations. And so mother and daughter used to go shopping for funeral supplies with the daughter, you know, for the daughter's funeral. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it, it's um, our experiences can be so, when we look back at those things, it's like, did we really do that, right? But this is what this lady, 
lived through. And then when she comes to the office after the daughter passed away, our job is to pick up the pieces and somehow build a life for her. And that's exactly what we do, right? Where do you start? It's a lengthy process. Incidentally, this hybrid program that I have is a good place to start. We do one session together, private session, but then you get in a group program where we discuss these things and I talk and I do, you know, it's all with me. I don't have any assistance. I do all of the work. And I, and I find that an important piece of what I do because I've been to many other programs where you have like some sort of senior therapist essentially selling programs and then you have a bunch of students essentially actually coaching you and I've been to a ton of those finally I learned my lesson and now when I look at a new program I ask okay who exactly is the coach in this program and it's never the person selling it in my case it's me I do the coaching I do the therapy I do it all myself I wouldn't I, I don't want to do it any other way people tell me yeah you can make more money it's not why I do what I do it's not why I do this I, I, uh, I do this because I want to do it. I want to do the work. You know, um, I want to be there with you. I want to look into your eyes when you cry or when you smile. I want to be there. You know, I've been there. I want to be there with you. So all of this coaching and all, I do it myself. And it's a very effective way to do it because the group, not you know, I'm there, of course, but the group, helps one another. I used to think that groups were distracting and that we wouldn't get as much done, but I learned that it's actually much more powerful because we help one another and there's an energy there that gets everybody to elevate. And we work a lot on this energy, the field and group consciousness and also that we, we create a vortex essentially, like Abraham Hicks says, we create a vortex essentially tapping to this vortex where everybody is helped. Burnout is tough, I'll tell you. The, the average person doesn't recover. The average person spends the rest of their life post-burnout looking at the wall and crying. They do not recover. I did, and many people do. The people I work with do recover. But we do. I, I don't think that we recover. I don't think that that's the correct word. There's no way to recover, I should say. We cannot go back and rebuild our lives. That life is over. If you're in true burnout, that life is over. What we learn to do is build a brand new life, a much better life. And it turns out to be the life that you really wanted to have lived, but before you couldn't. Because you're so attached and there are so many commitments, you couldn't really live the life you wanted. Once it's all burnt out, you essentially have nothing to lose. So then you begin to ask yourself, but what is the life I really want to live? And then you begin to build that life. So, although it's a very painful experience, it's also the best thing that will ever happen to you. All right? If you have any questions or thoughts on this, let me know so that we can enter into a dialogue and go from there. Blessings.